Alright everybody, let's go. Last night of camp. Do you know what that means? It means... I have gifts for you. Who likes Kit Kats? Amanda Ham. Who's smart? Who likes some salad? stay awake tonight, which is good. Now, I'm curious. I'm wondering. um, At this point, wouldn't you wouldn't you come forward and and give me money? Wait, wait, wait. I I misunderstood. I, I gave you I gave you candy. Why are you not paying me? Because what? All right, this young lady wants you to stand up. What's your name? Reese. Reese said the right answer. Reese, all right, everybody quiet. Why should I not get paid for the candy that I just gave out? Because you said it was a gift. Because I said it was a gift. Good job, Reese. Random applause. You know, I bet... um, I bet none of you, after opening your Christmas presents, walked up to your parents with a lot of cash and said, hey, thanks for the presents. I hope this covers some of the cost. I bet none of you did that. Why? Well, it's the same, it's the same concept. It's a gift, right? Maybe you got them a gift in return. But the whole idea behind a gift is that it's based on the generosity of the giver. And, and how do you receive a gift? Not by making a payment, but by simply saying what? Thank you. 
You take the gift and you say, thank you. You embrace the gift with gratitude. You have to understand something tonight. Salvation is a gift. A gift to be received, not earned, and not paid for by yourself. I want you to write on top of your notes the big word gift. Gift. Salvation is a gift to be received. It's not earned, and you don't pay for it. What is this great gift? Well, we've been talking about it all of camp. The great gift is the gospel. Specifically, we've been talking about the immeasurable power of God, the sacrificial death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. It was motivated by mercy and love. It made you alive, not only made you alive, but He raised you up to the summit of the mountain of salvation. And He seated us in the heavenly places with Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's a long way of just saying the Gospel. Some of you, your leaders, have been wise in asking you, what's the Gospel? Here, let's make it even simpler. You stand, you die tonight. And you go and you stand before God in heaven. Why should He let you in? Well, what we've said already is that you're dead. You can't earn salvation on your own. You can't walk through heaven's gates by your own merit. You're not good enough. You're not perfect. You're dead. So it's not going to be based on your merit. So why should God let you into heaven? The right answer is the gospel. If you truly believe it. You say, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He paid the penalty, took the punishment I should have. He died, He was buried, and He rose again from the dead. And in His resurrection, He conquered my sin and my death. He gave me His perfect, righteous life. He accomplished my salvation by dying on the cross and raising from the dead. And if you believe in Him, you will die to that old way of life and be raised to life anew with Christ. In essence, you say what we just sang. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. I believe in Jesus. He is my Savior. This is infinitely better than any gift you were given at Christmas. This is a handcrafted Grand Diver Rose Gold Invicta watch. This was a A gift from my grandfather before he passed. It's worth uh, anywhere between thirty and forty thousand dollars. I'm just kidding. It's like a hundred bucks. It's really not that worth that much. I I looked it up. Um, 
It's pretty cool though. It's got an open back so you can see the gears moving. I have a picture. I'm hesitant to ask. But, uh, oh, Sammy Dotson. Where have you been? All right. Uh, there's the back. It's kind of cool to see how the gears move. It's a cool watch, but um, I have a confession. I, I haven't worn this watch once. It's been sitting in my garage for three years. I've used it in sermon illustrations, <laughs> but I've never worn the watch. Two reasons. One, I'm not really a watch guy. Um, I don't know what it is. I wish I was a watch guy because, you know, stats say that you're smarter if you wear a watch, right? But um, she's like, no. But here's the thing. The stats, the stats actually say uh, that if you wear an Apple watch, you're dumber. That's interesting, isn't it? I just made that up. All right. It's because I can't afford one. Um, so I'm not a watch guy. I don't wear watches. Also, it's kind of gaudy. It's kind of... Like, it's like preachers and sneakers, you know? Have you guys seen that Instagram page? Those preachers who are wearing like $10,000, $20,000. It's too, like, gold. I would look pretty ridiculous if I wore this watch preaching on a Sunday. I'm a pastor. I'm not, I'm not supposed to be wearing watches that look like this. I don't know. But uh, anyways, this watch has been sitting in my box for, for three years. I've never worn it. It was a gift from my grandfather. You know what I said when I opened this gift in front of my grandfather? I said, oh, this is horrible. I said, Grandpa, I don't wear watches. Like, why did you get me this? By the way, I'm a pastor. Grandpa, don't you know this is, this would look ridiculous on my wrist when I'm preaching. Of course I didn't say that. I'm not, I'm not cruel. I didn't say that to my grandpa. You know what I said? Probably what most of you would say. Thanks, grandpa. And I whispered to my wife, uh, can you check how much this is worth? Um, no, I, I said, wow, grandpa, thank you. I, I know that he gave it out of the kindness of his heart. He was, he was wanting my best, and he believed it to be a good gift. And... Um, it was generous of him. I appreciate the gesture. But my response was, would you say, a little bit fake? How did I receive the gift? Was it genuine appreciation and gratitude or was it fake? I want to ask you tonight, how do you receive the gift of salvation? Some will flat out reject it. Some will say, that's not for me, that's not what I want, and they will walk away. Others try to work really hard to earn it. I need to be a good person to be a Christian. I need to do all these good things to be right with God. They're somehow trying to pay Him back by living a good life in their own flesh. And that'll never happen. It's impossible. Some fake it. Some say, oh, thank you, Jesus. This is great. I feel so much better now. Jesus is, is better than what I did before. But then you, you walk away and you pretend like he doesn't even exist. You put him away in a drawer in your garage and the Bible stays 
in your bookshelf somewhere and, and you really, it was fake. You didn't really receive the gift. Now there are others, and I'm praying for this response tonight from students. Others who humbly say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Give me Jesus. He's all I have. And He's all I want. And they receive the gift by faith. I want to ask you tonight, how will you receive this gift? Look in your Bibles at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9. This is probably the most familiar part of this chapter. You might have memorized this verse. You might know it by heart. What I want to do, kind of interesting, I want to focus on all the positive statements first in the verse, and then we'll look at the negative statements. We're going to have two points tonight. Point number one, how to receive salvation, or how to receive the gift. And the second point is how to not receive the gift. Okay, very clear, very straightforward. We're going to look at the positive statements first, how to receive the gift, And then we'll look secondly, how to not receive the gift. So positive first. This is how we receive the gift of salvation. Look at Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Skip a little bit ahead and notice that phrase. It is the gift of God. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That salvation is a gift. If that hasn't settled in by now... Man, I, I just I don't how don't know how you can't see that because if you're dead and you can't do anything to climb the mountain of salvation and God had to intervene, reach down and make you alive, you know that's all grace. That's a gift, an undeserved gift. Do you remember the definition for grace? Grace is undeserved favor. It's receiving a gift that you didn't earn. How did you get to the top of that mountain? There's only one answer. Jesus Christ. He put you on his back and he carried you up the whole way. And you're seated next to Jesus. And what can you say? What can you say next to Jesus? Man, I really got myself out of that mess, didn't I? I mean, Jesus, yeah, you did a lot, right? But I mean, I I chipped in a little bit too. I mean, look at this report card. Pretty good, right? I get good grades. I'm a good kid. My parents are proud of me. I go to church on Sundays. I go to youth group even. I have made good decision after good decision. More right turns than left turns. Am I right, Jesus? Have I impressed you? No. You don't say that sitting next to the champion who did all the work. What do you say? Grace, grace, God's Grace, I don't deserve this. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I appreciate you, Jesus. You're everything to me. This gift is wonderful. How is the gift received? How's the gift received? Look back at verse 8. By grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Faith. How do you receive the gift? By faith. What is faith? Well, you've got to know that faith is a gift too. 
It's part of that whole package. The salvation, the faith, it's all a gift. It's all given by God's grace. You can't conjure this up yourself. You can't work yourself up to believe God. He has to grant you the faith to believe. And so we pray and ask for you tonight that God would give you faith. That God would grant you faith to trust in Him. Here's what faith is. I want you to write this down. Faith, put simply, is trust or confidence in an object. Faith is trust or confidence in an object. Everyone has a kind of faith in something. And it always has an object. I mean, you trust your parents, right? And so your faith in your parents is based on their trustworthiness. They provide for you. They, they feed you. They provide a roof over your head. And so you trust them, right? You have some sense of confidence in them until they become what? Untru- or they become untrustworthy, right? They break your trust somehow, some way. Some of you have faith in your friends. You trust them. You're thicker than thieves. But you realize that Your faith is dependent on the object of your faith. If that object fails you, well then man, that that leaves you in in a rough spot. Broken relationships. Even atheists and evolutionists place their trust in the object of science. Everybody has a kind of faith or they trust in something. Here's the problem if you can't see it already. The problem with these kinds of faith is that their object is flawed. Science can't save you. Your friends, well, they'll fail you. Even your parents aren't perfect. They can't be your savior. The object of our faith, listen to this, the object that we ultimately trust in, that we cling to, is Jesus Christ. It's a person, it's not a thing. He is trustworthy, and He's the only one that's able to save us from our sins. So to have real faith or to believe, get this, is to trust in, to place your confidence solely and wholly in Jesus Christ for salvation. It's all Jesus, only Jesus, nothing else. One of the illustrations for faith is the chair. You may have heard this illustration before. Here's the chair. Let me pull it back a bit. I don't want to fall forward. One commentator writes this, as one trusts in a chair for support because it seems trustworthy, so one trusts in Jesus Christ for salvation because he is reliable and trustworthy. You may have heard this before. I can say in front of you, I believe this chair will hold me. But what's the proof in what I just said? Well, Morgan, sit in it. If you believe it will hold you, then sit in it. Can I have one foot in and one foot out? I'm kind of just like, let me test this. Let me put like a little bit of weight on. All right, I'm sitting in a chair. No, it's ridiculous, right? It's not one foot in, one foot out kind of thing. If I really trust the chair, if I trust the object, then I'll sit in it. I'll put all of my weight on the chair. 
I'm not holding myself up at this point. If this thing breaks, it'll be a really, really funny scene. But I trust it. I trust it. That's the idea of faith. You put your whole life, your whole life into the arms of Jesus Christ, your only Savior, your only option. I have a sitting chair at home that I really like. It's a nice piece of furniture. It's simple in design. The cushions are comfortable. It's the perfect sitting chair for my study and my reading. Do you think I sit in it? What if I didn't? What if I appreciate the chair from afar? I just told you it's my favorite chair. I love this chair, but I, I don't sit in it. Oh, it's a, it's a great chair. I will sit in it one day. Don't get me wrong. One day when I really need it. When I really need that chair, I'm going to sit in it. In fact, why don't, what, what if I ask you, hey, why don't you sit in this chair first? Just to make sure like it's good. It's comfortable. I want to see, see if it will hold you know, a junior hire's weight before I sit in it. And then... After the junior hire, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to grab one of these high school boys and have them sit in it before I sit in it. Do you think I really appreciate the chair? If I never sit in it? Wouldn't you be skeptical? Wouldn't you wonder, what is up with this chair? Why doesn't Morgan trust it? Why is he saying one thing and living differently? Maybe I'm just blowing smoke like I did with my grandpa's watch. It's all fake. Listen, students, there are a lot of so-called Christians who claim faith that looks like that. It's ridiculous, right? Oh, I appreciate this chair. I love this chair, but I never sit in it. Oh, I love Jesus. I appreciate Jesus. You know, the whole dying on the cross, raising from the dead thing. That's great. But yeah, I don't really talk to him. I don't live my life any differently. In fact, I've got one foot in the world because I I really like what I'm feeling and what I'm seeing here. And I'll just put one foot on the chair with Jesus. That's not faith. That's fake faith. Phony, phony faith. True faith is whole life trust in Jesus. True faith is total confidence in him. True faith results in true love and adoration and appreciation for the person. Everything you are, everything you have, everything you do depends wholly on the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is everything. He's the chair. Put your life into him. By the way, can't have have your parents sit in the chair for you. You're not saved based on your parents' faith. You can't stand before God in heaven and He says, why should I let you in? And you point back and say, Mom, Dad, can you cover this for me? Can you step in? No, they won't be there. It's you and the Lord. It's your faith. Do you have it? Are you kind of hiding underneath your heritage? Your parents? It's not their faith. It's yours, student. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had the same problem. The Pharisees and the Sadducees boasted that their father was Abraham. They're descendants of Abraham. They were Jews. John the Baptist points at them and says, You broad of vipers. You say you're the child of Abraham. Don't you know that God can make rocks into children of Abraham? 
You're not saved based on your heritage. You're not saved because your parents have faith. It's not passed down like an inheritance or like a name, a family name. No, no, no. This is your faith, student. Have you received the gift by faith yourself? Have you trusted in Christ, placing all of your confidence in him? How do you receive the gift? By faith. It's clear. It's clear. Now, point number two, how not to receive the gift. How not to receive the gift. Look at the negatives in verses eight and nine. And this is not your own doing. Verse nine, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Three strong negatives. Not your doing, not your works, not your credit. Christianity is not a works-based religion. It's not 80% Jesus, then 20% you. It's not 95% Jesus and 5% you. It's not 99.999% Jesus and 0.0001% you. It's all Jesus and none of you. It's all Christ. Again, you don't support your own weight in the chair. The chair supports your weight. Jesus Christ does the work. Christianity, here's what's funny. and I heard a pastor say this. You are saved by works. You're saved by works. But guess what? They're not your works. It's Christ's perfect work that covers you and saves you. It is all Jesus. There is nothing that you can do. It's not your doing. It's not your works. You can't take any credit. John MacArthur tells a funny story of how a man came late to a revival meeting, a big revival meeting in a tent. He found the workers already tearing down the tent and he was frantic that he missed the evangelist. He decided to ask one of the workmen, what can I do to be saved? The workman replied, you can't do anything. It's too late. Aghast. The man said, what do you mean it's too late? Can't someone here tell me what I can do to be saved? The workman replied with a smile. said, the work has already been done. There's nothing you can do but believe in Jesus. Student, don't try to clean yourself up. Don't try to do a bunch of good things before you think that you have a right to stand in the presence of God. Go to God recognizing that you're a broken sinner that needs a Savior. When somebody says, hey, why will you go into heaven? Stop going back to your religious report card and saying, well, I read my Bible every day. Well, I've been going to church since 2009. The day I was born. No, no, no. It's not based on works. Do you, student, have faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone? Don't try to clean yourself up. Don't try to turn your own life around. Don't try to do more or do better. You bring nothing to the table. Simply come to Him. Nothing, nothing I bring, but simply to the cross I claim. Give me Jesus. You have nothing to boast about, student. 
Nothing to brag about. You know, it's popular in the universities. Some of you are looking forward to college. It's popular at at universities to name buildings after their generous donors. People will pay a lot of money to have their name on a building in a university. Check this out. Gordon Marshall donated $35 million from his aerospace fortune to have USC name their school of business after him. The Gonda family paid $45 million to put their name on UCLA's Neuroscience and Genetics Research Center. Henry Rowan topped them all. He paid $100 million to rename Glassboro State College, it's in New Jersey, to rename the whole college Rowan College. $100 million. And he got his name on the college. That's a lot of money, isn't it? I want you to understand, student, that your salvation came at even a greater cost. God paid a lot more to put his name on you. He gave his only son who came to this earth, lived the perfect life you couldn't live, was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Again, he took your penalty. He took your punishment. That is a high cost. That's a lot of pain that Jesus took for you. But he did so in love. He died. He rose again from the dead. All of that to put his name on you, to save you, to have you, student. God has his name written all over the believer. There's nothing that you could give or do to earn it. It was all God, all grace, all his gift. Look at verse 10. The first line there, for we are his workmanship. Whose workmanship are you? His. If you're a believer, there's nothing that you can add. There's nothing that you can boast about. You're his. He made you and remade you, making you alive. We're his handiwork, his glory, his credit, his boast. How not to receive salvation. It's not by works. It's not your own doing. It's not by your parents' faith. There's nothing you can boast about. You receive the gift of salvation by faith. By putting your whole life trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. You stand before God in heaven one day and all you said, Jesus, why should God let you in? Because I'm covered In Jesus, he saved me. He saved me. Man, we've had an incredible look at Ephesians chapter 2. at Just the, the grand picture of salvation going all the way from the power of Christ seated at the right hand of the Father to the contrast of us being dead in our trespasses and sins. We were hopeless, depraved, headed for wrath. But God intervened. He reached down and saved us by the immeasurable power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. 
And if you believe in Jesus through faith in Jesus, you are united with Jesus. You are no longer dead, but you've been made alive and not just alive, but you are seated in heaven. Your position is secure. You're at the highest of heights. You're at the summit of a grand mountain. Just embrace the view. This is the glories of salvation. It doesn't even end in this life. In the coming ages, verse 7, He wants to show the immeasurable riches of His grace, continue to bless you, continue to give you gifts, continue to love you unconditionally. This is incredible. It's incredible. And I know that some of you in this room are still holding on to your sin. You're still holding on to that temporary pleasure. You're still not convinced, maybe, that you should sell it all and cling to Jesus. Uh, One final illustration. This is a thimble. I want you to take all the thrills, the excitements, the happiness that you've experienced so far in this world. And some of you will fill a thimble. Just a little thimble. A thimble full of thrills, a thimble full of excitement, a thimble full of happiness, because, you know, some of you have had a difficult life. Maybe born into a single parent household. Maybe you were born into a family with very little money. You didn't have much. You don't have much. You're even thinking now, man, I I don't want to go home because it's not good there. But nonetheless, there are little excitements in life, little moments of happiness and joy that you receive from whatever you're looking for and however you're getting it. And you fill a thimble, a thimble full of those thrills and excitement. Others of you? Got a little bit better of a life? You can fill a cup. This is my favorite cup, by the way. It was a gift for becoming a member at Costco. It's awesome. I love this cup. Use this cup every day. But, you know, some of you can fill a cup with all the thrills, the excitement, the pleasure that you're receiving from your sin, the, the things in this world. You're not as bad as the first kid, but necess- you're not necessarily the best. You live an average life. You know, you've got... An average family, average looks, average friends, average grades, an average KDR. You're just average. So you fill a cup. All your happiness, all the joy, all the excitement that you can get from this world. Now, some of you have the privilege of a bucket. Okay? You... Your life is full of thrills, excitement, and happiness because you have a good life. You live a privileged life, an especially privileged life. Maybe born into a wealthy family, you have great parents, you're good looking, you have exceptional grades, you're a great athlete, you have everything you ever wanted, there's a bright future ahead of you. You've got a bucket. Oh, and you're so happy with this bucket. It's bringing so much joy to your life. You think, oh, my life's not bad. The sin is actually kind of fun. I get what I want and, and I'm happy. I want you 
wherever you're at, whether you're the thimble, you're the cup, or you're the bucket, I want you to take it to the ocean. And I, I want you just, the image there, I want you to look out while you're holding your bucket. You're holding your little thimble full of happiness that this world can give you. The cup that you think is so great. And I want you to see an ocean full of the unending mercy of God. I want you to see an ocean full of His immeasurable grace. I want you to see an ocean full of His unimaginable and unconditional love. I want you to see an ocean full of eternal life and happiness. And then look down at your bucket. What do you want? What do you want? Want the ocean? Or do you want your thimble? You want the ocean or do you want your bucket? You know, some of you might walk away tonight with your bucket. I'm happy. I'm good. I don't need Jesus. That would be a shame. Others of you have the opportunity tonight to drop your bucket and embrace Christ and get the ocean. Eternal happiness. Eternal joy. True pleasure. True satisfaction. Only in Jesus Christ. Only by faith in Him. And entrusting yourself to Jesus doesn't magically make your life perfect or better. Life is still hard, but guess what? Eternity is forever. And past death is life. And you get Jesus, the person, the relationship. You love the champion and He loves you. And you're embraced by the Heavenly Father. Even though some of you don't have an earthly father. Oh, would you just drop your little vessels and embrace the ocean? I'll tell you what. You can have your cup. You can take the bucket. Give me the ocean. Give me Jesus Christ. I promise you, it has made me so joyful and happy. I know where I'm going when I die. I know that I have Jesus. I walk with Him. I talk with Him. I'm not perfect. I don't have a perfect life. It's not easy sometimes. But I have Jesus. He's with me. I want that so badly for you. I pray that you would just drop that. Whatever it is. Sin, idols, things in this world that you trust, you forsake it all and trust wholly in Jesus Christ. Would you do that tonight? The Spirit is convicting you and working on your hearts. Let me pray.